Good morning, good day, and good night. You may have stumbled upon this podcast randomly as you browse around a graveyard full of ghouls, driving on an endless road with your killer laying in the back seat, waiting for the right opportunity to slit your throat. Or, you know, just by personal interest. However, what you may not know is what you're about to hear are extremely sinister stories. This show contains all depths of horror that lurks around our society. Kidnapping, torture, murder, you name it. Whether it's down a dark alley or from the pitch black closet in a bedroom. If it's the paranormal that haunts our surroundings, or a demonic possession that needs to be cleansed, a flying saucer that hovers over our helpless world. These files are for one's understanding, but listener discretion, you are warned. If you wish to be part of the cult, <clears throat> well, not a cult, but family, <laughs> hit the five star in Apple Podcasts and subscribe to wherever you are listening. Now that you are brave enough, are you ready to open these cryptic files? Boy, do I have a juicy one for you all. Welcome to the second and final part to the Gina Hall story. In part one, you all heard the wild story that took place in 1980. But like I said before, there is more to it. And you all will be stunned on what you hear. As it takes a turn towards the paranormal. Yes, I said the paranormal. Today on the show, I interview a retired police sergeant that went undercover in hopes to find the remains of Gina Hall. His investigation took years, but he wasn't expecting what transpired. You will hear my reaction to this crazy interview. I was dumbfounded, guys. I got literal goosebumps. Well, enough with the prepping. Let's get to the interview. Thanks for being on the show today, uh, Andy Wilburn. I would like if you could uh, introduce yourself and give a brief synopsis of your career in the police force and uh, all that jazz. Okay. I'm Andy Wilburn. I um, spent 
and almost 22 years in law enforcement. I retired in late 2019. Uh, 20 of it was with Bradford City. Two of it was with uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, about 12 years at Radford, I was in investigations, and, and a lot of that I actually was over the investigative unit. Um, I would say my area of expertise was forensics. I was a graduate of the Virginia Forensic Science Academy, which is a 10-week uh, specialized training in Richmond where we uh, learned to collect and uh, process evidence in a systematic manner, uh, approved by the state, recognized by the courts. Um, uh, a lot of death investigation training, uh, some cold case investigation training, uh, so I think that's kind of, I worked a lot of death cases in Radford, uh, several uh, high-profile homicides, uh, unfortunately a lot of suicides and overdoses. Mm. So you don't really read about that stuff in uh, the, the news that happens in Radford because if they're accidental or they're overdoses or suicides, you know, we don't publish that kind of information, just a homicide. So I think that's that's probably the, the gist of my career. And, and snapshot. So you've been through a, a lot with your. I've seen a lot <laughs> of things that most people would be really surprised at. Right. And before we started this, we mentioned uh, the paranormal and this, the cryptic files show. I've been wanting to get into like paranormal stories and uh, uh, haunted houses or UFOs even. Um, but you mentioned that you're able to see a lot of um, paranormal uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, and a, a lot of people, you know, aren't very open about yeah. that kind of thing. But I have, since I was 11 years old, I've seen ghosts. And I've I've had some um, some of my stories published in Roanoke Times and Special oh, nice. Features. And uh, I, I'm not bashful because I think it's... Um, I, I think it's an honor to be able to see spirits on the other side. Yeah. And... You know they're here for a reason i think some of them have a message some of them maybe they're stuck i don't know yeah. but i've had a ton of experiences in my life and i continue to have experiences and i think it's it's very fascinating to me and, and i enjoy those experiences and you know there's a lot of skeptics where they're like ghosts aren't real but when you see one or you feel one for the first time it's it's hard to uh say no that's you know <laughs> that's not right or try to disagree with somebody who's disagreeing with you yeah and you know to be able to get in uh, a communication from them you know i've been able to do uh you know whether it's the flashlight thing that you can ask them you know you can sit in a room if you know there's a spirit with you you can sit in a room and and leave the flashlight uh, and not say a word for 15, 20 minutes and then ask a question and ask them to turn on the flashlight, you don't have another explanation for right. that. Yeah. You know, there's no magnetic field that's coming through the, uh, the atmosphere at the time that's just going to turn that flashlight on for you. There yeah. has to be um, something in that room that's waiting to answer a question that wants to communicate with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the fascinating things about the spirit world is, uh, you know, are they... Are they hanging out? Are mm -hmm. they uh, they want to be with you because they know you do? Do they just want to communicate with you? Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, you know, throughout my life, I've I've told stories to people that uh, were totally skeptics and totally believers, and 
many in my family have had personal experiences, and I've had personal experiences in this case that were paranormal that I, I could not explain, but I knew it was intentional. Right, and I didn't know that until we mentioned uh, over text message, and that's great to hear because uh, it, it just makes this story even more interesting. Um, but let's let's dive into some more questions. Uh, were you ever aware of the Gina Hall case that took place in 1980? No, in, in 1980, I guess I was in middle school in Giles County, and this was going on, and I guess we were somewhat sheltered or probably didn't get the local paper or something right. like that. Uh, the f- Maybe not dark news like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, still, though, you know, when I look, you know, as I dove into the case... I realized what a far-reaching effect it had on the New River Valley. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that, you know, I I I could be on my way to Richmond, and this is no kidding. After after it went public, I can be on my way to Richmond. I could be stopped eating lunch, and I would have people come up to me and say, "Andy Wilburn," mm. I'm like, "Yeah, I am so thankful that you're working to find Gina Hall." Wow, and I would be. Awesome. Who who are you? (laughs) I mean, it's just, you know, I've always wanted somebody to find her. And I'm like, because it's not just a Radford thing or a Pulaski thing. Mm -hmm. It's so much bigger than that. And how we never heard of it, and I'm sure, you know, Giles people knew about it, Mm -hmm. but I certainly didn't. And, you know, I can tell you the story when I found out about it, if you want you know, we were wrapping up a jury trial of a guy named Bill Guderslaw. In 2000, Bill killed Lori Pleasance, who was a Danville girl, a sweet lady. Um, he had cut her wrist, mm. uh, but he'd strangled her first and cut her wrist to make it look like a suicide. He cut it super deep. Yeah. And he got away with it till about 2004, 2005, and a special agent. Um, and I don't know if he'd want me to say his name or not. Uh, he doesn't like the... <laughs> He's, we call him the Dragon Slayer because he's worked some big, big cases. Right. He's he's Superman. Wow. But he came in and we worked on this thing for, you know, a year and a half or so and got comfortable enough to where we were ready to indict. And this guy took it to a jury trial and it wrapped up. Um, we got a conviction and then he confessed after the conviction. He confessed during sentencing. And my chief at the time, you know, was over investigations in 2000 and felt responsible for not being able to close it out then so he comes up a very emotional very mm-hmm. emotional man hugged me crying and you know you did it son you did it you did it and he hugged me and he said now I'll go find gina hall and i said who's gina hall right I had no idea yeah and so next time i was at work i went to the records room and i said is there a case on a girl named gina hall and i was handed a, a three-inch binder, a blue binder, which I kept with me a lot because that was the case file. Mm-hmm. And there were about 30 pages of paper in there. That was it. Yeah. And I would find out later from the state police who worked the case, had the original case file, that there were seven uh, three-ring binder notebooks to the case. That was the case file. Yeah. Not what we had. Oh. So... You know, I spent the next two or three years trying to get copies of the file. It took that long. 
me driving to the state police headquarters in I'm Whiffle sure, looking sure at the file. that's frustrating. <laughs> well, they finally went, why don't you take it and copy it? I'm like, well, I didn't think you'd ever, you know, offer. <laughs> yeah. So we have it, had to have it done in a day, and I had all kinds of people, you know, helping me, but we copied, and then I had the whole, what I assumed was the whole case file. Nice. Okay. See, I didn't hear about the Gina Hall case until uh, I went to Radford University, and then that whole... Uh, story about her being at the Deadman Center. We'll get to that. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I didn't know anything about the case up until then, and um, where I'm a big fan of, you know, true crime, there came across uh, an episode, I think it was Crime Junkie, and I listened to that, and I'm like, you know, I thought about doing a podcast, a true crime podcast, and this would be a really good case to to do because it's local and I've been doing local cases. So um, I'm grateful that you're doing this with me today because yeah. uh, you were involved with a great deal. Um, let's see. So what was the first step in dealing with something like a cold case or whatever? I guess you kind of talked about it uh, just now, but uh, what was the first objective or what was the next objective after? Well, I'll tell you the first the first decision, and I got advice from uh, somebody that was enough um, was familiar enough with the case to know, and I this was probably the most important advice I got, and it was if you're gonna work on finding Gina, you better not tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And so the only people I told in the building was the chief and the deputy chief for at least four years nobody in the building knew what i was working on wow and it you hate to have to say that yeah but radford is such a small community you really can't trust anybody not to run their mouth even the people that you work with right and i found out why much later because i'm like i mean what's what's a big deal this yeah. girl's you know, from Coburn, she's coming here. She got killed by, you know, this this jerk. And I found out later that um, Epperly was so connected with people, mm. very important people. Right. And when I eventually, which we I don't know if we'll get into that or not, but I eventually got the visitor logs and the call logs. Oh, wow of every prison he was at and I saw names that shocked me really prominent prominent names <laughs> that I knew personally yeah. in the city of Radford and I'm like that's why that person told me keep your mouth shut wow about what you're doing because it will get out I gave me goosebumps <laughs> and one of the things I did not and I made this clear early on there were two things that I wanted to decide when it went public. It was really important to me because there were a few people I wanted them to really be surprised when I knocked on the door. Right. That was important. I wanted the, holy crap, you don't, what? Yeah. Why are you here? I wanted that factor on on two or three people. And it took so long, you know, I told you these, these, this case file was so huge. 
it took that long to learn because I had regular cases to work. I was supervisor investigations. This wasn't the only one you had to. Do. I was taking I was taking binders home at night studying them. Yeah, and I was sneaking around studying them. You know, making notes and doing different stuff. So there, the the biggest thing up front was secrecy. Yeah, and then. Uh, building my own, you know, working copy of what I wanted to focus on. And I, the other thing that I wanted to do was, you know, in the legal system, you've got to be really, really careful because I'd understood uh, from um, the reading that I'd done in the files that he had tried to appeal on everything. <laughs> and then the last thing I wanted to do is do something stupid to give him something to get back in front of a judge. Right. So that's why everybody's like, oh, you're reopening. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm taking a fresh look at the file to see if I can find her. Yeah. Because if you say you're reopening, that means you're going to re-examine evidence and you're going to resubmit evidence negative. Because mm-hmm. that would give him something to file an appeal about retesting evidence. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm just putting a fresh set of eyes uh, on an old case because they did things different back then. I need to reword what I put down. Then. <laughs> That's really, it's really important. Yeah. And I've used that wording the whole time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so tell us the story about the Deadman Center. So everybody thought that she was under the Deadman Center. Right. Because it was being constructed in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> to really talk about my role at the Dedman Center, that's what you want to hear. Yeah. And I think it was actually 2013 is when it got really serious as mm-hmm. far as um, you talking about the dig. So, six years. 2007, 2013. A lot went on, but yeah. nothing monumental like this event. Right, okay. So, um, I was contacted by one of our dispatchers who, I walk in one day and she's like, I got a message for you. I'm like, okay, what is it? She's like, I got this guy uh, who says he's got information on, um, I guess it's Gene Hall. I'm like, and she didn't know what I was working on. Right. And I think she remembered the case. Wow. So I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I'll see if I can help him. I was like, hmm, well, I don't know what he's talking act a about. Bit. Yeah. Um, so she's like, are you going to call him? I was like, yeah, I'll call him, you know, see what's up, you know. So I call this guy. And of course, I don't say names because I've never asked these people if they want to be identified. I yeah. call this guy. And he says, well, I'm a psychic medium. You ever worked with one? I said, brother, I'll listen to anything anybody's got to say. Yeah. I said, do you want to come by? He said, yeah, can I? I'm like, yeah, come by. So we meet in my office. And he tells me, he said, I've been I've been talking to this ghost. Something about a uh, Gene Hall. I said, I said, female ghost? I said, yeah. I said, Gene Hall. He said, yeah, yeah, Gene Hall. Mm. Okay. He's like, is she missing? I said, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you think internet, you think Google searches, you think all this stuff. So yeah. I'm not going to give him anything because, yeah, I'm not stupid. Mm. So he's like, 
I think I may know where she's at. I'm like, well, I'd love to find her. I said, you want to take a ride? He said, yeah, take a ride. So he kind of gives me this, you know, I don't know much about Radford. This guy's from Floyd. Okay. Know, I don't really know. And yeah. We end up down by the Devon Center. We make the loop around the Devon Center, and then we stop on the riverside of the Devon Center, and we get out, and it's freaking, I think it was March. It was cold. Mm-hmm. And we get out, and he starts describing to me what it looked like in June of 1980. Mm. And he says that the Devon Center was under construction. You know, he starts telling me that, you know, they were just pouring footers, and they were you know, starting block. And then he describes, he's like, now over on this side here, the other side, he said, there's these row of houses. There's four houses. Mm-hmm. The last one going up the hill is a white colonial style house. I'm like, okay. He said, there's a clearing, like a garden on the other side. Mm-hmm. He said, that's where she's buried. He said, when they buried her, there was a lady looking out the window. And the lady could see two men with shovels standing in a hole, digging the hole. Two men. Two men. Hmm. I'm like, pretty detailed. <laughs> yeah. He said, now, there's a record. She called somebody. Yeah. It may have been campus. It may have been PD. She called and said, there's some guys out here doing something. Mm-hmm. And he said, they did it with their headlights shining at the hole. Mm. I'm like, Okay. And then he tells me a number, and it ends up being uh, Airplay's house number. Wow. Which, easy enough. Well, yeah, easy enough. Internet, yeah. um, and then he tells me stuff about a cold case in another county that this kid's missing and buried. And I make notes and pass it on, and I'm sure they didn't follow up on it. Don't know if it was accurate or not. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool, man. I'll, uh, I'll get back with you. And... So he goes on, and you know, I spend the next couple of days. I call our city engineer, who's kind of my my geek for the city, who does stuff like that. And I'm like, here's don't ask why, but here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for any kind of maps or pictures of that area of the city back in the '80s. He's like, okay, let me see what I can find. He calls me back. He's like, I don't have anything, but my counterpart at RU does um do you want to meet with him i'm like yeah i'd like to so i go down and meet with this guy and he's in the office way back in the building and he takes me back in this room and there's these rolled up maps i swear are 12 foot long wow and apparently the government did flyovers back in the day and this one is like june 4th 1980 wow and he rolls it out on this massive table. And sure enough, it's of the Deadman Center, June 4th, 1980. So I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. <laughs> Are you convinced now? <laughs> I'm looking. Yeah. Let me look. And there's the Deadman Center. And there's dirt in the middle. And they're doing block on the sides. I'm like, where's them houses? One, two, three, four colonial style <laughs> garden wow I'm like so I, I got my iPad and I'm like taking pictures and I'm like yeah I said alright where else is this picture available nowhere mm. I said this picture is not online no no way 
Anybody been down here? He said, this map ain't been rolled out in 15 years. I'm like, okay, thanks. So I'm like, all right. So in the meantime, I call. I go, all right, what am I going to do now? So I call. Um, I don't want to go through my canine guys. So I call a uh, couple jurisdictions away, a canine handler that I trust. I'm like, here's what I'm looking for. But this has got to be a specialty. Old, old, old cases. Probably buried. I'm like, I just need an expert. Mm -hmm. So she comes up with a general's wife from D.C. who does old buried bones cases as a hobby. Wow. Because she obviously don't need to work. Yeah. And uh, she calls me and, you know, she brings her dog. She meets me down there. And she's like, you know, this is this is what we do. And she explains to me the scent of, of buried bones like that will grow up through trees. And so don't be surprised, you know, if we don't get anything. And if my dog shows an interest in, and has some kind of scent, his tail will swish. That's how we'll know he's interested. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So he's that whole area. And I don't tell her anything other than this whole area. So part of the problem is I don't know exactly the overlay of the map and how it is now, but I just tell her this whole area. So every once in a while, he'll swish. Every once in a while... And, you know, he works for about 45 minutes and then comes back. She's like, he's interested, but I don't really know where we would pick. I'm like, okay, what do we do now? She's like, how about I come back in uh, about three or four weeks and the night before you ground probe, poke some holes, and that way he can get closer to the sand if it's here. I know this is a long story. Oh, this is the best part. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so, um, I was like, okay, cool. So I I go up to the city, uh, and I was like, look, I need some rebar probes, you know, like quarter inch probes that are pointed to poke holes in the ground. He's like, what do you need that for? I said, don't ask. I just need some. He's mm -hmm. like, okay. So I get two or three people that I trust and we go down the night before mm -hmm. freaking campus police rides by don't even look at us oh we're God. poking holes yeah by the we're by the soccer field by Devon Center they don't they're like I mean we could be out there shooting each other and they just yeah. ride by like it's hilarious <laughs> so she comes back the next morning and cuts the dog loose and he'll swish and then she's like, he's definitely smelling a scent. And I'm like, that's good news. She's like, all right, at some point, he's going to say, this is my best guess, and he's going to sit down. I'm like, all right, cool. So he goes back and forth, and he sits on a bank behind a storage shed and sits down. She's like, that's his best guess. I'm like, it works for me. Yeah. So we're like, cool. That's easy to remember. <coughs> <coughs> So, I call um, Dr. Boyd, who I've worked with on some cases. He's an anthropologist and an expert in bones, and 
he has actually worked on this case before, mm. done a lot of work. And he's actually been on some digs with me. And I'm like, look, here's what I got. He's not a big believer in the canines. He's just not. But his wife is. Yeah. So that was my end. She's like, he's like, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll bring, um, you know, we'll bring the, the guy who actually is another professor. He actually runs it. And he can bring the students down since it's on campus. I mean, I'm sure he'll do it since it's right here. So we set it up, and they run. It doesn't take them an hour. It's such a small area. And he's like, we won't tell them what the area interest is. We'll just tell them the area we want covered. And it's, you know, he's like, we'll process the data because it's all, you know, has to be, um, you know, numbers crunched and computers and stuff. And he said, we'll call you in two or three weeks. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so he calls me, and he's like, hey, um, why don't you meet me down there? I want to show you a couple things. I'm like, okay. So we go down, and he's like, and he has his picture printed off, and it's this square, and there's this, like, red line in the middle, and he's like, so we found an anomaly. I'm like, okay, well, what's that mean? He's like, well, and he starts talking this scientific stuff. I said, put it in my terms. Yeah. He said, we found an anomaly about uh, five to six foot under the surface that would be consistent with the size and body shape that you're interested in. I'm like, what do you think? He said, I think it could be her. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, crap. Right. Where? And he goes over, and it's the spot the dog sat on. The spot. <laughs> Not in the area. It's the spot. Right. I'm like, what do we do now? He said, we got to go see the university president. Yeah. She's a friend of mine. I'm like, thank God. Right. So we go, we explain everything. She's like, I said, here's my idea. You know, we make it look like a, the electric department's doing some work on the pole right on the other side. She said, you have my permission. And so nobody, I mean, they were practicing track and soccer and everything, and nobody even looked at us. Right. I mean, nobody. And we dug that hole six or seven feet deep. And, you know, it's his measurements are down to an inch. And he climbed in that hole, and I got in the hole, and he took his hat off, and he scratched his head. He said, I don't understand. I said, what's up? He said, there is nothing here. And I don't mean just her. There's nothing here that would cause that anomaly to show up. Nothing. No compressed rock. No different type of dirt, nothing. What in the hell? He said, I have never seen anything like this before. This, it doesn't give false readings. There had to be something, a layer of something here that would have given this, that reading. Yeah. I'm, dude, I thought I had her. I, I was heartbroken. Understand. I don't understand. He never why. figured it out. So, I'm just, you know spitting bullets here uh would there be a would have there been something there before and then taken out and that still be you know you know he he is so good he can tell that the dirt pattern would have changed right okay i mean you know whether the mud would have been different whether i just he had no theory that is so strange. and when you 
when you can dumbfound somebody like that, it's crazy. Yeah. Because to me, what you told me, it seemed so convincing that she was right there. I had my hopes too high. Yeah. I did. I had my Because the science backed up the theory. Right. Like you had the metaphysical world saying, hey, look here. Yeah. But then you had the two different types of science back up. Yeah. The canine and then... I was like, yeah, I was devastated. Right. I I drove home that night and I was just, I was really upset. I mean, I was, because I just, because I had never contacted her family. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I had her family's information in case we found her that I wanted to contact them uh, and say, this is a little awkward, but I've been working on your sister's case for the last, you know, five years. And guess what we just found? We think we may have found her, but... And so I, I remember coming home and I changed clothes and I, I sat at the table for a little while and my wife was at her parents. They were like cooking hot dogs or something. And yeah. I'm just like, so I drove over there and this was like, it was such a touching moment for me because there's so many things and I'd have to write them down that lined up for me to work on this case for her. When I needed the contact, it just fell out of nowhere. It's yeah. like it's like she had wanted me to work on this case. Yeah. And I drove over and parked down in the grass, and I just kind of just didn't want to get out, just didn't want to go see anybody. And uh, you know, the kids were on the, the back porch, and I was in the front yard, and I I was in um, I was in a little blue Hyundai. Uh, Elantra and beautiful afternoon sun was out and I remember getting out of the car and I was just walking around and I looked back and the headlights were on mm. and I'm like I mean this was 2001 it's not those auto lights like you know we have now Yeah. so I reached in there and, and turned them off and I, I walked around and I just kind of went over and sat in the shade and I looked back and them headlights were on and I'm just I walk over and I'm like am I crazy and I just had this overwhelming calming it's like I had walked into um, the most calming sauna and I'm like Gina Hmm. is that you and so I got a lawn, I knew there was a lawn chair in the car and I got the lawn chair out. I'm like, all right, Gina, if this is you, if you're trying to communicate with me, turn them headlights on again. And I went and I sat down in the shade and I watched and the headlights came on. I'm like, oh my gosh. Because you have to manually turn those on. Yeah. Ain't no push button. Ain't no electrical. It's, it's two parking and then headlights. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh. and I sat down, dude, thinking about it just makes me emotional. Yeah. And I, I turned them on. I'm like, okay, I'm listening. What do you want me to know? And it's just like, I felt like this rush of energy come overtake me. And I was just, man, I just started bawling. I was just like so overcome. My wife comes, to, my wife comes down from the backyard and she looks at me just like, you 
Oh, God. <laughs> she walks around and goes, <laughs> I'm just sitting there bawling because she knows what I've been through. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, Gina tells me, tell my sister. Hmm. Tell my sister. Wow. And so I go in the next day and um, I'm like, okay, I got your message. How do I tell her? She is obviously a businesswoman. She's a professional. You can tell by her website. She's yeah. the insurance guru. <coughs> Send her an email and say, hey, this is who I am. Uh, I pulled your sister's case file and, you know, I've been working on a few a few things. I have some ideas I want to share with you and want to get, get your input. Mm -hmm. Can you please comment your convenience? Thank you. I thought that's a good intro. Not, hey, I just dug for your sister, didn't find her, I'm really upset about it. This was a, somebody's working on your sister's case that would like to talk to you. I thought that would be pretty good. <laughs> and so, day goes by, nothing. Day goes by, it's Tuesday evening. And um, I finally was like, I might call. I don't want to call, but I might call. Yeah. So I pick up the phone and I call and I get, you know, one of her assistants and and I ask for her and she's like, can I tell her who's calling? I'm like, hey, this is Andy Wilburn with uh, Radford Police. She's like, okay. She picks up. She's like, hey, Andy. I was like, how you doing? She's like, I just found your, your email in my spam folder. I'm sorry. What can I do for you? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I just... You know, I've really become interested in the file. I said, I've been reading on it. I've been doing a few things. And uh, some things have happened. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get your thoughts and make sure you're okay with me, you know, looking for her. And, oh, that's great. She's like, you know what? We're actually coming through Radford tomorrow to testify at Apple's parole hearing. Mm. Timing. Yeah becomes an issue over and over and over mm -hmm. and they stop by on the way and spend a few minutes with me she's super polite i appreciate your effort um if there's anything you need you let me know but I, I, it's probably a waste of time but thank you very much and that's how she was the first mm. two or three times mm. but that was i know that was a long story but it was that was the start of a whole lot of things yeah. happening. Yeah, it was crazy, man. That that's um, I'm a I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of that side of the story, and uh, I cannot wait till somebody till people listen to this because <laughs> <laughs> it is wild. Just the everything lining up so right, and then you know the disappointment of something that seemed so perfect you know uh i never wanted it to get personal yeah but it got personal that day yeah and i didn't want it to be yeah but it did that day and then the full circle of uh your paranormal uh you know situations growing up and then you believing that gina was there with you telling you no doubt yeah um so what happened after all that so it was time to regroup and 
time to really look through the file and see were there any places that they didn't check were there any things you know there were so many tips that came in what was followed up on what wasn't what was taken seriously um and i i gotta hand it those guys that that worked it originally it looked like everything that came in back then they followed up on they looked for her and for them to take that circumstantial case to trial and win was fantastic man yeah um you know one of the things that i wanted to do early um was i wanted to interview robin robertson and i wanted to interview skipper king before anything got out Mm -hmm. and i was able to do that both those interviews were interesting (laughs) i'll say yeah um I was told some things that were not in their original interviews. Now, whether that was intentional or their just mind was a little different, they remember things a little bit different. One of the things that um, that I really haven't told anybody is that um, you know Robin, when I went to go see her, uh, you know she had she had told me that she was interviewed once. And that when she came back into town a couple weeks later to see Bill, and it's like, you know, did this guy really do this stuff? Yeah. That Bill was riding around with a gun because mm-hmm. he was afraid Airplay was going to kill him. And when I asked uh, Skipper about that, he denied ever being afraid of Airplay, denied carrying a gun, denied any of that stuff, which I think is odd. It is, yeah. I mean, you should be afraid of him because yeah. he's a terrible person. Which those are some things that I was like, you know, why would, why would she make it up? Yeah. I don't think she did. Why would he deny it? I mean, anybody in their right mind's gonna be afraid of that guy. Yeah. Or at least concerned yeah. for their own welfare. Um, you know, there was just some oddities in the interview. Nothing, no big revelation. Uh, so those those were the two big ones. On the way back from interviewing. Again, timing-wise, on the way back from Virginia Beach, which is where uh, Skipper was living, um, I get a phone call from the producers of Dead Files. Mm -hmm. And Delana had given given them my information, and she said, if you want to do it, do it. It's in your hands. And he was kind of the last piece of the puzzle, and then I wanted to go public and really jar people's memories get get the phone ringing yeah and he was kind of the last piece of the puzzle for that and at, at the t- i was on the way home from interviewing him and they called you know wanting to know if i do an ep- episode yeah. with them and i'm like yeah that's as good a way to go public as any you yeah. know doing the dead files yeah. which that was a fun experience i mean it it didn't do anything other than uh find a way for us to say hey i'm i'm looking at the case now and um, and having the local media say, hey, this case is going to be featured on Dead Files. Free publicity is what it really was. And a short time after that, you know, Ghost Asylum, they called. And it's like, hey, uh, you know, we Google St. Albans and Gina Hall comes up and then your name's attached to it because yeah. the media had ran so many stories yeah. attached to, um, you know, after Dead Files came out, Ronald Times did a piece on 
me looking at the case and channel seven did one and channel 10 did one and it just I'm goes <laughs> constantly doing interviews and that's exactly what i wanted yeah you know and the phone started ringing ringing and ringing and ringing and i was getting calls that was you know blowing my mind i was getting calls from people that airplay had raped mm. beat up i was getting calls from girls that went to high school with him that he raped in high school you gotta remember this dude's 28 yeah. in 1980 and he's raping girls in high school from 18 to 28. What has he done? Right. So, connection-wise, you know, trying to see when I went to Bland, mm-hmm. uh, I, I start doing some research on him. Um, and he's at Bland. You know, he's got a pretty good gig there. Um, you know, in the meantime, I'm, I'm consulting with... Um, you said gig. What is that? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by gig? Uh, he had his own sale. He had, um, you know, Bland's not uh, for the lifers. They're not for the murderers. Gotcha. They're a lower classification. Okay. Uh, he was there because, uh, you know, a federal judge that was a friend of his pulled some strings and got him there. Gotcha. Bland didn't want him. Right. And so, yeah, you know, I was on a, I was on the FBI task force. And when I started trying to get information for Bland, I knew a couple of guards, and they're like, dude, this guy is different. He is, you know, the guards don't mess with him. The prisoners don't mess with him. Um, and if you're going to come, if you call a day ahead, he'll know. Mm-hmm. They'll tell him. Yeah. He just has that relationship. And whether it's fear or whatever it was, it's like you can't trust anybody at Bland. About Steve Everly because he's too well connected, yeah. and so I'm like, well, how in the hell am I going to get information then? So I go to this meeting. Uh, I'm trying to find when it was. Yeah. <coughs> in the meantime, I am contacting the FBI uh, about using some some of their resources to gather information. Um, I've talked to uh, their behavioral sciences unit about doing. Uh, some analysis of some of the statements that were made back then and helping me uh, prepare for some of the interviews that were coming up. They helped me with some of the questions for Skipper and uh, for when I was going to go talk to to Epperly. Mm-hmm. So it's important not only just to walk in there with a plan, but to have those guys do an assessment of his personality. Yeah. So, you know, do I want to piss him off? Do I not want to piss him off? Right. You know, what's what's the goal? Um, piss him off <laughs> yeah so it was it was a lot went on in 2013 so this was 2013 um, I had gone to a meeting on the a task force I was on with the FBI and uh, we were at a task force meeting and one of the agents who I was pretty good friends with at the time was like dude what are you working on mm-hmm. I'm like man let me tell you about this cold case so I was like, he's like, man, that's wild. And uh, I was like, yeah, he's at Bland, and I, I'm trying to get some information. He's like, oh, you need to contact at Bland? He's like, let me give you the IA guys. Now. He's like, nobody talks to this guy because he does the IAs. He's like, that's who you need to talk to. He gives me a cell phone number. I'm like, timing and connections. Hell yeah. <laughs> Drop from the sky. So I call this guy. <coughs> this guy comes to me. He's like, yeah, we don't meet in the building. I come to you when you want information. 
he starts getting me information, you know, phone logs, visitor logs, mm-hmm. um, whatever I want. When you're ready to, to meet, you contact me. I'll arrange it. Nobody else will know. And I'm like, dude's a hookup. Yeah. So this dude, you know, we're, he calls me uh, a few weeks later. He's like, it was a Sunday. He said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, uh, we just found Airplay with contraband. We're going to violate him, and we're probably going to transfer him to a higher security prison. Mm. He said, all his stuff is sitting in um, a conference room. Do you want to come search his stuff? <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah. So I spent 11 hours looking through Epperly's stuff. Wow. I learned a lot yeah. about the man. And that's why when people ask me, you know, do I think he's killed before? Based on what I read, absolutely. You know, he was into some really, really heavy type stuff back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, and I, I think Ron talks about some of that stuff, that the people that he was with, he was a bad dude, yeah. a lot worse than most people realize. So... Um, and then we set up the interview for, I guess it was that Monday or Tuesday morning. Um, and, you know, it was it was short and sweet. The Department of Corrections gave me uh, the authority for one hour to block the transfer. And that was the leverage I had because I needed something. And, um, you know, he thought about it for a minute. And then he's like, where am I going? I'm like, I don't know, but it's not going to be, you know, this hotel that you're at. And I gave him I gave him a couple ways that he could help himself. You get to stay here. I don't care how I find her. Nobody has to know you gave me the information. You know, you can write a location, you can put an X on the map, you can whatever. All I find her, you get to stay here, you know, and serve out your sentence. And he thought about it for a second, he's like, I was set up. You know, everybody set me up. My my lawyers and all the witnesses. I'm like, I just got up and walked away. It's like I don't hear this bullshit. Yeah. I just got up and walked away. I'm like, I'm not listening to this. So he thought about it for a split second, but yeah, it didn't work. So when you saw him, uh, could you just feel the the evil in him? Yeah, he's he's intense and yeah. he. He survives in prison off of the intimidation factor. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, you know, the research I did on him beforehand was helpful because he works out a lot, you know, even in his mid-60s now. He's yeah. in very good physical condition. And he intimidates people. He gives you that cold stare, and, yeah. you know, people are just naturally intimidated by him. So, um, you know, that's kind of how he survived all this time without anybody messing with him. Right. Um, so did you just end it there mm-hmm. or? Yeah, I don't, you know, if you, if you change your mind, let me know. Yeah. Um, after he was at Buckingham for, we waited a few months and, uh, a, um, the profiler with the state police, who's a friend of mine, uh, he and I. He started out at Radford, and he and I, met, we were together somewhere, and I was telling him that I interviewed him, and, and he's like, I want to interview him. I'm like, okay. And so we decided we would go back. And I'm like, 
let me tell you how this is going to go down because mm-hmm. I know him. And he's like, dude, you know, I've interviewed the worst. And I said, I know you have, but this is how this guy acts. I said, yeah. have a business card ready because he's going to demand it. He's not going to be happy that we just show up, don't make an appointment. He's going to dominate the conversation. He's going to be an absolute prick, I can tell you. Mm-hmm. And I said, but with you there, he's going to see your authority more important than mine. So if he sees me, I said, I'm, I'm not going to be visible because he'll see you, state police work the case. You're a higher dominant authority. And I even read in his, um, in his notes, there was a couple way back in the day that wanted to do like some kind of playwright or book or something on the case. Mm-hmm. And that really offended him. Oh, okay. uh, he wanted uh, like a famous author to write his story. Mm-hmm. You know, like a James Patterson or somebody. He, nobody else was worthy to write about him. That's so how he felt about obviously himself. He, he relishes in that power. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. yeah and back, back when he was during the trial and during the investigation, the prominent reporter at Channel 7 was Keith Humphrey. Mm-hmm. He only would do interviews with Keith Humphrey because he was the main guy. Right. So when we went, you know, I ducked behind a corner where I could hear the conversation. It went down exactly like I said. Yeah. Who are you? Why are you here? Give me a business card. You don't just show up and see Steve Epperly, is what he said. Oh, my God. You don't just show up. <laughs> you call ahead. You write me a letter. You write me a letter if you want to ask Steve Epperly questions. Yeah. And that's the way it was. Yeah. And so when we left, he wrote him a letter and said, I am the one that can help you better your circumstances if you choose to do so. And he never wrote back. So and my theory has always been that Epley feels like he has won this battle yeah. because we can't find her and we want to. He's still alive. We can't find her. It doesn't matter if he's in jail or not. Yeah. He's surviving. Right. Um, well, I guess that will lead me to some of the final questions um do you think gina hall well you already mentioned this uh was the only victim from the hands of epperly nope i believe he did more i've got him um multiple states his own notes saying he's picked up hitchhikers in multiple states uh he's made a list of people um i call it a sex list there's 98 names on it god and some of the terms that he described him are not very nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you when you make notes like that, there's a reason you make notes like that. Yeah. Um, Gina's not on that list, <clears throat> but I think it is a sex list, and um, there's no way um, that Gina was the first. There's right. just no way. I think you know there was a mention of the Ohio case. There, he was there. He was, you know, fifteen minutes away. Um, I interviewed the guy he stayed with. I tracked him down. Very cooperative. He said, you know, I worked during the day. I don't know what Steve did. Um, that guy was a school teacher. She was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Same area. Um, I there's just no doubt. It's hard to tell how many. Yeah. Um. So that lady near Radford said she saw two people back in nineteen eighty. Well, that's the psychic's version. Okay. But we never found, we dug and dug uh, with the city, 
you know, those records were long gone yeah. with the city. They would have they it, they did index cards of calls back then, and those were long gone. We never found any record okay. of that call. So that, you believe it was just him? Um, you believe in Bill King's story? You know, Bill was. You know, I've got mixed feelings about Bill because Bill was so cooperative back yeah. then. He was interviewed like seven times. Mm. Now, every interview he doesn't say the same thing, mm. but he was so cooperative. Right. Uh, you know, he agreed to a polygraph. He agreed to be at, let him search the house. You know, he yeah. never denied anything. Um, it. And then you look at it, it's like, you know, how would he not have known? How would he, how did he stay in that house three, four days and not see anything? The thing that got me was when he steps in the blood and the, he's not. That's hard to get him. over. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, blood's going to stay in your foot. Yeah. You know, do you not see that later? You know, you could pick a side and I could pick a side and we could argue all day and then, and then switch. Yeah. Because I just don't know. And when I interviewed him, you know, it didn't help anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I wasn't able in my mind to say he didn't have anything, you know, to do with it. But it didn't help me decide that he did. So, um, I, but I told him, I said, you know, if anybody should worry about Steve getting out, it should be you. He's like, well, why, why would I worry? I'm like, you testified against your best friend. Yeah. And then he's like. Well, he's not my—he wasn't my best friend. I'm like, dude, I got pictures of you in like middle school together, in high school, and y'all running around doing all this stuff, and you're saying he's not your best. Everybody knows y'all best friends. Yeah. So you know the, the inconsistencies. I just don't. But I can also st see Steve doing that all by himself. Yeah. He's that type. Yeah. Um, I guess we can end it uh, with this. Gina's sister, Delana, um, does she have like a a team with her that uh, goes and search around the area to try and find her remains still? Um, she made a post on her Facebook page <clears throat> saying that she did find possible remains of Gina. Um, do you think that maybe that's that's where he left her because it's mentioned that possible dismemberment like she he cut her up uh what's your what's your take on that yeah I, i've seen a little bit about what she's posted and i know in the past when we've done large searches she's been able to bring people from her area mm -hmm. friends and people that work for her and uh, she's even offered to pay people to help you know, search and dig. Um, I, I, I'll feel better if something is sent to the lab or the medical examiner and confirms it. You know, I just, in these type of situations, you just don't know. And I assume if she's found something, she'll do that. Yeah. And I look forward if that really is, um, her to, you know, being able to confirm and give us all, you know, some closure. Uh, but my theory has always been she's wrapped in that you know, gray or blue blanket that's missing from that lake house. And I've always felt like um, that when he left the lake house, um, he ditched her somewhere that night, dumped the car, walked home, 
you know, came back the next morning to wherever she was, and he was in a different vehicle. He scooped her up and took her who knows where and had plenty of time to dig a hole, you know, probably by himself. Uh, and I don't, it's really hard to dismember a body. Yeah. You know, it sounds easy, but it's really, really hard. Yeah. And why he would go through all that trouble and then scatter her around, you know. He had access, you know, the research I've done, he had access to so many farms. He hunted, fished, and had friends. And there's just the areas that we've searched. There's so many farms around there that are just like they were in 1980. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could carry her, you know, way back into one of them farms. And there's no way you'd find her unless you knew exactly where he was going. And, you know, a lot of people theorized, you know, why wouldn't he say where she's at and get paroled? Well, he may not remember. He may have took her out in the middle of one of them fields, and there's no way he could go back to that spot. I mean, that's a theory as well. Yeah. So, you know, I but I have always said she'll be found somehow, you know, and I, you know, I, after I retired, uh, I'm more convinced now that it'll be by accident. Somebody, you know, a tree will fall down or somebody will be plowing a field or, you know, digging up something for footers of a house or something like that. Yeah. And that's how she'll end up being found. But I've always felt like she'd be found. Yeah. Well, one can only hope that it's sooner than later. I hope so. Because it's been way too long. It has. <laughs> um, well, I want to thank you again for being on the show. Uh, like I said, your side of the story is uh, very, very interesting. And I think a lot of people don't know uh, that side. And I can't wait till people start uh, listening to it. Um, but we'll definitely have to uh, do this again with some of your paranormal stories. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. But um, thanks again, Andy. And um, we'll catch you next time. All right. Enjoy it. crazy was that my god i don't think i've ever had a more interesting conversation in my life and he has seen and been through some amazing things we definitely plan on recording another episode together in the near future cannot wait for that jeez but unfortunately gina hall's remains still to this day aren't found the evil stephen epperly continues to have that control we can only hope and continue to search, and like Andy said, she will be found. I'd like to thank you all for encouraging me to do this case because it ended up being so interesting. I hope you all enjoyed my research on it, and if you did, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Hit that five-star review and subscribe. Follow on Spotify and wherever you listen to the show. We'll see what I have brewing up. I have something in mind that may blow y'all away. Thanks for listening. And lastly, watch your back. It is cryptic out there. So Andy forgot to mention the story. And he he thinks that it's uh, worthy enough to tell. So let's, uh, let's hear it from him. Yeah, so one of the best stories is I 
that medium we stayed in contact you know for a long time and he would he would text me odd questions that i would have to dig through the file and he'd be right there's a couple that comes to mind one of them he texted was gina wearing crepe sole shoes i didn't even know what that was mm-hmm. and so i finally found the description of the shoes no in one of king's statements out of the seven the police asked him what was bill king wearing and he described his outfit and said he was wearing crepe sole shoes. I'm like, no way he would have known that. That's not public information. <laughs> and there's another one. You know, I was an adjunct at RU for several years. And I was teaching. And I, this is when I was building my own working copy of the file. Stuff, evidence, witnesses, stuff I really wanted to focus on. And I was getting ready to put it in a three-ring binder. And it was all loose-leaf stuff. But I had everything. And I was going to take it home and punch the holes and do the tabs and everything, and it was on my front seat. I stopped at the cookie place in Radford, got cookies, and was taking them home to the kids and, and me, of course. <laughs> and everything's on the front seat. I pulled in the driveway and stopped. It all dumped out in the front floorboard. And I got around, grabbed it. The file didn't empty all the way out, but just I had to push the papers back in, took it in the house, and it sat on the bar till about 9 o'clock. And then I was like, all right, I'm going I'm to do my tabs and get them ready. Couldn't find a hole punch. Got some freaking mad <laughs> that I just put it in the car. It's like, I'll just do it at work. I'll find time to do it at work. Well, this guy texts me about 945 and said, question. I said, yeah, man. He said, did your case file take a spill today? Holy shit. <laughs> and I've saved, I've saved the messages. Holy shit. I said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. He said, can I call you? I'm like, yep. <laughs> so he calls me. He's like, Gina has been screaming at me to tell you to stop what you're doing. He said, go get the case file. And he said, flip through it. About halfway through, you're going to find one page that's flipped upside down. Oh. She wants you to read that page. It's really important. Uh. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's like, I don't know what it is. I'm like, okay. So I go get the file, and my wife's sitting there, and she's like, this can't be happening. So I'm flipping. Halfway through, there's one page that's flipped upside down, and it's Robin Robinson's statement to the police. And in it, I find something that totally contradicts what Skipper has told the police around the same date. Oh, my God. I'm like... (laughs) That is... Can't make it up. Oh my god! You cannot. You cannot. Oh my god! I know. That blows me away. Yep. <laughs> Stuff like that happened a lot. Yeah, man. Jeez. It was just. I mean, how do you dispute that? You can't. You can't. You and cannot. I've saved those. I've saved the text messages in case he buys. That's bullcrap. Yeah. Here, read it. Yeah. Oh really my happened. god. Yep. Yes, thanks for sharing. Thought that was that. worth adding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep the, that at the end for yeah. a little surprise. Yeah. Jeez. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs>